Hello, I'm Mike Wood, and I'm here with Justin DeClue. And you're listening to the Very Fine Comic Book Podcast. Where we talk about very fine comic books. Just whatever we're reading right now and whatever we hope you might like to. And today, we're going to be talking about a great one. It is Daniel Warren Johnson and Mike Spicer's Do a Power Bomb, which I have to say was probably my favorite comic book uh, series of 2022. This is excellent, and it's basically pro wrestling in a Mortal Kombat style universe slash tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the latest work of Daniel Warren Johnson, who I discovered a couple years ago. I don't remember exactly what drew me to him, but once I saw his art and read some of his stories, I was instantly uh, smitten, and I have followed everything that he's done since then, even buying Do a Powerbomb as it was released monthly. But that's just a little bit of an intro, because first we talk about what we've been reading. So what have you been reading, Justin? All right, so... Basically, what I've been reading is everything that I talked about last week and <laughs> some that I didn't mention. So I was also looking at like, uh, what do I have? Is there any new comic books? And yes, there are, but they're manga. As I mentioned a few episodes ago, I've been going through so much manga recently because it's all at my fingertips thanks to the Toronto Public Library system. <laughs> and I've been checking everything that is popular under the belief that it's probably popular for a reason, that it's good. Not like, ah, just kids like it. So like Naruto, Jojo, Bleach, and the one I'm going to mention today, which is a recommendation that's very funny because I believe this book hit number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Really? I think I heard about this on another podcast. I tried to check it on Google and I couldn't find any stats, so maybe okay. it was an exaggeration. Wait, don't they have a graphic novel specific? They do, but it wasn't on the graphic novel. It wasn't. Novel. It was on the, yeah. the general book section. Yes. Wow. And I would believe this because okay. the book I'm talking about is Spy Family. Oh, I've never heard of it. And this one... The volume nine came out, like, I think two months ago. You cannot find it in any bookstore. They just do not have it. They're just sold out. So this is the newest volume. This is the newest saying. volume, okay. volume nine. Now, did you read uh, one through eight before this, or are you yes, jumping absolutely. in? Yes, absolutely. No, <laughs> I, I would not jump into volume nine of a manga series. Mm -hmm. This manga series is about a um, super secret agent who has to do a assignment where he has to get to know, like, an uh, agent of the state, because there's East and West. It's like a fictional kind of country. And to do that, he has to form a family. So he does it with a young girl that he adopts who has psychic powers, but he doesn't know that. She can read people's minds. Uh, also, he gets a wife who is an assassin, but he doesn't know that. And he also gets a dog who can see into the future, but he doesn't know that. <laughs> and it's just so cute, so fun. And uh, until volume eight, it was also a every week is kind of a new adventure. Hmm. And it's... You know, not like a shonen manga, which is usually in like shonen jump, is like fights. So you could have like 10 volumes that are just one long fight. This is not the case with this. And I think maybe that's why it caught on in the way that it did, is that because it's so comedic, it's so relatable, and uh, at the end of the day, just cute, that's why it got kind of the attention that it does. Wow, so this volume nine, did you, this doesn't look like a library copy. No, it, Beguiling Books. Okay. Uh, the so comic book shop. This just came out, you bought it anew. Yes. And interesting. So okay. I actually read volume one to eight, at the library, and mm. I went, all right, I want to start now. And unfortunately, with new manga, right when it comes out, if it's this popular, I will be waiting months before I get it from the Toronto Public Library system. So I'm like, let the children have their manga, mm -hmm. <laughs> or the other adults like me who added their name to the list, I can just go buy it for, because, you know, manga trade paperbacks are like $10, mm -hmm. which is really not that much in the grand scheme of things if I was buying single issues. Well, I'm impressed you were able to find all one through eight to check out at the library system because they have you were so saying... many copies. Oh, okay. Yeah, they have like 50 copies. Yeah. So the, the way that... I'm not 100% sure, but the way the library system works is that like they buy a lot of copies early on and okay. as they get damaged and they get taken out of circulation, then it kind of dwindles and dwindles and dwindles. And, you know, things have pockets of popularity where like, you know, Naruto, still surprisingly popular, is that like it's kind of tough to get the volumes. Bleach, not really popular at all. They mm -hmm. only have like two volumes of most titles and it'll take like a week for it to get to me. Wow. So Spy Family, if you're looking for a manga series, there's no demons, there's no monsters, the supernatural stuff is kind of limited to like psychic powers that are, you know, mostly played as a joke. Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, great stuff. Fun for the whole family. There's an anime, but as I said before, I am a manga first kind of guy. That's good. I always like to read the source material if I can before mm -hmm. reading the yeah. adaptations. I, I like to say stuff like it's more pure when in reality, usually mangas, because they're hitting a weekly schedule, have like mm, five to seven people working on one volume. Mm -hmm. So it's the only way to get it out that fast. My opinion, mangakas work too much. Have them do less work. <laughs> yeah, you keep hearing about the grind culture in Japan. 21 and... pages a week. Yeah, That's yeah. too many pages. And every now and then you'll read some article about... Um... 
you know, oh, and everyone working on this uh, manga or this anime or this video game uh, uh, lived at the studio for three oh, months yeah. and it's romanticized. And it's like, that, that sounds horrible. Well, usually <laughs> they like wake up at 10 a.m. and they go to bed at 3 a.m. Yeah, is what yeah. they say about most of these mangakas and their assistants and such. Wow. You don't need that many pages. No, like, <laughs> no. I, uh... I mean, maybe the storytelling would be less compressed and that, you know, they still have the phone book size kind of compilation things as well in Japan that mm. they put out. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's so many mangakas that die from overwork. Like just recently, yeah, the author yeah. Berserk, he basically died of overwork as well. So oh, that's so sad. Yeah, it's uh, not good. And it doesn't need to be that many pages. No. 10 pages a week? We can deal with that. Five? Mm. Why not? So what are you reading, Mike? Well, Justin, as we were going to cover a wrestling story this week, I thought, hey, let's read some other wrestling comics. And then I the remember- The Dark Horse put out a wrestling comic. They did not. This was put out by Boom. And this is the biography of The Undertaker himself, Rise of the Dead Man by Chad Dundas. I don't know who that is. Uh, there's a quote by ESPN on the cover saying, a massive leap forward. Uh, from what? I'm not sure. <laughs> so something people need to understand about Mike, even yeah. if you're following us for this many episodes, he likes to do things for the value of the gag, oftentimes more than the quality. Well, that's it. Well said and true. In yes. this case, I freaking loved this. You did. I loved this. Wow. Uh, so it wasn't one of your screenings where you have two uh, titles that sound similar? <laughs> no, no. What was the infamous one? It was Verotica and... Adam McGoin's Exotica Ooh. with Danzig's Verotica. And did you start with uh, Verotica? Exotica was first, okay. then Verotica, because mm. I knew a lot of more latecomers were going to show up. You know up what? Verotica that is only. the correct order of those two Absolutely. films. I think someone told me it was the opposite. I went, oh, no. There were some older people who stayed for Exotica only and yes. loved it and left. And then, uh, you know, some... The real diehards. Late night Toronto crowd uh, came mm -hmm. in for Verotica. So this original graphic novel this is not published in single issues does something really clever where it basically takes the entire in the ring history of the undertaker's matches and all the stories uh present surrounding that and weaves it into uh the sort of like graphic novel history of what you don't see off the ring mm -hmm. or out of the ring and his all knees the are so bad he can't do moves anymore <laughs> because you know we all grow older does it cover that? It doesn't end with that. That would be interesting. But uh, no, it does get into the backstory of him and Kane growing up as brothers. This didn't really happen. Mm. Uh, meeting it's Paul Bearer. The, uh, fans uh, discuss the kayfabe. Yes. <laughs> yes. The fictional reality we'll, of the wrestling. Right. Game. And we'll get into that and do a power bomb as well. But this was uh, really, really interesting. And this hit all the right nostalgic notes for me as well, because this was the era when I was watching uh, so much. The like, 90s? Sort of, uh, well, mid like late eighties, okay, through mid nineties. Then I took a break in the Attitude Era. I came back for a little You're bit. You're like, that's a little too a little risque too attitude. for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, it balances both of those things I mentioned in a really clever way, like the real life fights, real life. <laughs> yeah, the real, the real uh, you mean the matches? Yes, the matches. Um, but presenting them as like completely unstaged, happening for real. Mm. Um, wait. That's not what wrestling is, Mike. Apparently not. And that'll come up and do a power bomb as well. Uh, with all of the backstory and drama that you're constantly hearing about. And The Undertaker was always one of my favorite characters because those like really, really out there characters with like a gimmick like that were always Didn't my Didn't he make a bunch of people vampires at one point? I think like The Edge was a vampire. <laughs> Yeah, there was some converting people into his Legion of Darkness or something like that. And there's all the stuff with like Paul Bearer as his uh, corrupt manager and having the Undertaker's ashes in the urn. But it's all presented as like... It's real. Dead serious and yeah. real. And this is what happened. How many issues of this were there? It was just an original graphic novel. Oh, okay. And so it, very it, easily accessible. Now, do you need to know the contours of the Undertaker's career for this to have more of an impact? Like you're like, oh my God, this is how they're interpreting this. Not at all. I think it telegraphs it really well. You, they never spend more than maybe a page or two on like various key matches uh and like the one here where he was uh, buried alive after <laughs> losing <laughs> and then dug his way out and then um filling in the gaps between those with like the sort of plausible reasons why he maybe took some time off and then came mm. back um it very famously includes the uh the moment in 1998 when the undertaker threw mankind off of hell in a cell oh. and he plummeted 16 feet down through an announcer's table yes uh so yeah it's just the highlights of his whole career in the ring and of the sort of put out their story beats 
that mm. happened between those matches and championships. And when I finish this, I wish there were more of these for other character themed wrestlers like that. Like I, I want to well, see we'll one. explain like, why Hulk Hogan, when he threw that uh, fire uh, thing, it didn't go off, so it just smacked the other wrestler in the face. Yeah, or maybe one like of you know Sergeant Slaughter becoming disillusioned with the U.S. and becoming a turncoat and things exist. like that. They like we're gonna exist. get emails of people being like, "Well, Mike, if you're interested in this." You know what? And yeah, please do send me emails. Uh, what are some other like good like WWF or E story based comics to read? I would be interested in reading more. Like Hulk Hogan, Thunder in Paradise, the comic book adaptation. Does that exist? I'm sure it does. There must be like, is this, there a Suburban Commando comic adaptation? Well, <laughs> maybe wonder. not a movie, but okay. uh, Thunder in Paradise, that was a TV show, wasn't it? Oh, I thought that was, maybe I just saw the pilot movie and thought it was a movie. So this is a good uh, time to discuss how big a fan of wrestling were you, Mike? When did you get into it? I mean, you already laid the seeds a little bit, but... Yeah, well, it was about, like, yeah, mid to late 80s, like, through mid to mid 90s. To quote Mark Maron, who were your guys? Like, who who are you fans of? Oh, man, that's a tough question. Love The Undertaker, uh, love The Hulkster in his prime. Uh, Bad man. Yeah, weirdo now. Yeah. loved the ultimate warrior in like the the earliest sense of like (gasps) i don't know what loving something ironically is he seems ridiculous but Mm -hmm. he's entertaining so because i know a lot of people listening to this may not be wrestling fans Mm. i will do my best to interject with what little wrestling knowledge i have Mm. to kind of give context of like ultimate warrior big muscly guy look like those steroids were trying to burst out of him big hair terrible wrestler very charismatic that's why people really liked him Mm. same thing with the hulkster yeah not a very good wrestler no no (laughs) but he very charismatic which is why people liked him and and that's i think what appealed to me more than even the the wrestling itself especially when you're a child right because it doesn't mean anything you are watching like a real life comic book unfold Mm -hmm. like it's it's a comic book slash soap opera slash like procedural drama where uh often all of the you know interpersonal rivalries and things behind the scenes were uh were more entertaining than the match itself the matches were almost like the punctuation on some building rivalry we should point out what's going behind the scenes what's going scripted behind the scenes not the actual behind yes (laughs) yes yes so when like vince mcmahon gets beaten up uh with isn't it like uh the thing that you pee in when he's in bed i always see that gift the bedpan yeah 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 One of my all-time favorites, who no one really talks about anymore, was Erwin R. Scheister, IRS. Have you ever seen? No. He basically looked like an IRS agent. Mm-hmm. Like he had a, a you know briefcase and a tie and a suit and glasses and like you know slicked back hair and and, and he was always calling the audience tax cheats and saying he's going <laughs> to audit them and yeah. like and that is my favorite kind of heel, mm-hmm. like some insanely colorful character. For people that don't know what a heel is, yeah. it is the bad guy in wrestling. A baby face is the good guy in mm-hmm. wrestling. Yeah. So if someone turns heel, that means they usually go. For from a good guy to a bad and in wrestling you can jump between both of them during the it was the attitude era right when the hulkster went uh heel and that's what everybody loved about it <laughs> yeah i was like oh look at hulk he's oh, in New world order that's what it was called yeah yeah and so what people need to understand about north american wrestling as well is that there were always um you know territories where you had wrestling basically what vince mcmahon did who runs wcw uh AKA WWF is he took them all and he just for a long time just absorbed them until WC uh, WWF was the only big thing. Wait, is it WC WWE? Man, I'm getting them all wrong. There's so many names. Mm. WCW came up in the 90s, where it was run by Eric Bischoff, and that's what kind of pushed WC. Oh God, I can't get any of them right. <laughs> uh, uh, WWF to become more extreme because they were in like an extreme challenge in the nineties. Yeah, I never followed the uh, like business side of that of the amalgamation. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, not experts. You're listening to the very fine wrestling podcast. Yeah, we're not mint. <laughs> no, I am not an expert in wrestling. What very little I know about wrestling has been uh, communicated to me by my good friend Adam the Riot Thorn when we used to work at Isor Video. He would we would watch wrestling videos and I would be like a child and ask him, "Wait, who's that? Who's this? Okay, what's going on?" here and you can give me all the backstory and i loved it i really like wrestling the problem is i cannot make a four-hour commitment every week to watch wrestling it is too much for me to follow the stories the way that wrestling works is that there are matches every week sometimes there's two of them like two weekdays and they can be two to like four hours long Mm -hmm. basically those things every week are like hyping stuff up there will be some matches but the big dramatic ones happen during the big events uh wrestlemania summer slam i think there's some 
some other ones. Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble. Uh, other things like that. Uh, even though that now I am interested in AEW because they're like the other one that are like trying to fight um, WWE. And I actually like AEW a lot. Have you ever watched it? I don't know it. No. Uh, oh, now I don't even remember what it st- uh, stands for. But I do know it's run by Tony Khan. It plays on the TBS Superstation. It's pretty big. And it's one that they're like, it's not completely evil like the okay. other big guy run by Vince McMahon. Does it stand for Arts and Entertainment Wrestling? <laughs> yes, that's absolutely what it stands <laughs> for. A&D Wrestling. And they do like really wild gimmicks too mm-hmm. and it's super fun. I like it when wrestling is as gimmicky as possible yeah. and then they do, my pref- uh, preference is, you know, the Mexican style high flying stuff. Really like that kind <laughs> of wrestling. There's a fun uh, DVD I watched it's about two hours long. I watched it with some friends a couple years ago called, actually very cringeworthy title WWE OMG and it's put out by the WWE and it's two hours of just gimmicks it's like a top 50 really? countdown so it's like Shockmaster like stories and Shockmaster right what was Shockmaster Shockmaster was a guy who kind of stepped out in a uh, Stormtrooper helmet that was spray painted was glitter but in his entrance where he like burst through a wall he tripped and his like helmet fell off oh my god so he was like scrambling yeah for I think it. I've seen gifs of that or uh, is it the Goofy Gobbler where there was like an egg that was on stage I think it was WCW for like weeks and weeks and weeks like what's in the egg what's in the egg and then it was just a guy <laughs> in a chicken costume or turkey costume that came out or did you ever see xanta no not toronto xanta which is xanta with a z mm-hmm. but uh it was with an x no uh and he was like an evil santa who wrestled <laughs> for like one fall slash like christmas only have you ever seen any wrestling live yes i went to um oh god what did i go to uh SummerSlam, wow. maybe 90 i went a couple times um but the best ever and it was when um i got to see uh, rowdy roddy piper versus jerry the king lawler Oh, this was a long time ago then. There was a lot of like build up to this match. And so the premise was that uh, Canada's own Roddy Roddy Canada, Pepper. Yes. Legend of, of the movie They Live and Hell Comes to Frogtown. And some other great roles. Rowdy Rowdy Peeper. And this was going to be the um the headlining match of SummerSlam. And Rowdy Roddy Piper was going to be donating all of his winnings to Sickett's Hospital, which is a very admirable goal. And, mm-hmm. you know, people should support Sickett's Hospital. It's the largest children's hospital in, you know, the city. Uh, Jerry the King Lawler, if he won, was going to use the prize money to destroy the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so, were you watching this? How old are you? Oh, like uh, it was probably SummerSlam, like ninety two, three. I was like fifteen. Okay, <laughs> so you're not invested in the hospital surviving or not at this point, <laughs> even though I've been there several times as a kid. How? But, well, yes. you didn't think it was actually going to happen. Hell is no. what I'm saying. No. <laughs> Did you have a kind of uh, realizing the reality of Santa Claus moment with wrestling that if you watch it when you were very young, where you're like, oh, this is real? Yes, I remember it popping up in schoolyard conversations, grade three or four, mm-hmm. like around the same time. But I don't know if it was like earlier or later. Of the like, And was wrestling in the 80s like, was it? Uh, universally accepted or are you seen as kind of a loser if you like wrestling because that was the case in the 90s I think it was pretty well accepted similar to how like when the like Nintendo came out in 1985 yeah like you're a loser if you have a Nintendo at no first. not at oh, all oh really no when the Nintendo came out like that was like a popular household object mm. and it was just absolutely huge like every, every single kid I knew regardless of like interest or gender like it was just like a household thing that people had mm. unless they were one of those uh, Sega Master System weirdos yeah um, but wrestling is or what are you a, a yeah. TurboGrafx-16 <laughs> Get out of here. I feel like that same era, that like mid to late 80s, like you had Hulk Hogan, who was as far as like household names goes, is almost like the Michael Jordan. Like your grandparents know who Hulk Hogan is. Yes, absolutely. And I remember uh, just even going to like maybe some family member's house and like wrestling's on. Like it was just it wasn't like some weird a niche thing in any regard like i feel like that era of like heavy promotion uh for the at the time wwf as it was still called what like just kind of normalized it mm-hmm. like people knew it's sports entertainment but it was like very 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 mainstream in a way that i don't think you kind of see now like it's still no. huge yeah but like a different kind of huge mm-hmm. it's not like a you know necessarily household name level huge I mean, I will be attending an AEW show when they're coming to Toronto in June, and it's really fun because it's AEW versus New Japan Wrestling. See, I want to get into the Japan wrestling yes. a lot. I've had so many That's friends That's a big commitment as well. I though. know. And even the Japanese wrestling games that keep coming out, I keep hearing good things about Fire Pro Wrestling. Mm-hmm. That series sounds amazing. Uh, and uh, I mean, Japanese wrestling is what inspired uh, Daniel Warren Johnson to do a powerbomb, as mm-hmm. he writes 
in the intro of the first issue. Oh, okay. There's a trade paperback of this that's out now, which is probably the easiest way to uh, read it. But I have to say, the uh, single issues have like a lot of fan art. They all have letters pages as well. Yeah, so I read the trade, and the intros and extra material are, is not in that. So yeah, actually, what does he say in the intro? What, what oh, he, he just about? said that he got into it when he was taking care of his young daughter, and it was something that he could put on, and he had you know been aware of wrestling, maybe even liked it, mm-hmm. but it was really watching New Japan Pro Wrestling that's like, oh man, I can really get into this. Seeing them do moves, seeing them pull out these physical feats, getting involved in the drama that's playing. Mm. And then he's like, all right, I got to do a comic about that, which is what led to the inspiration for this. Wow. Now, this is a seven issue miniseries, which means that it starts and ends and that's it. There's no more unless he does a do a powerbomb too. But I don't think he probably will. I don't think he, he will or should. Mm-hmm. Unless it's about completely different characters. I, like, I feel like it. this ends... Like, I guess we're getting ahead of ourselves, but this ends like so wholly and completely. Tears. Yeah. Start rolling down my cheeks. I, how did you find out about it? Well, I was just following what Daniel Warren Johnson was doing on Twitter. Okay. Had you read, uh, wh- which of his works had you read before this? Uh, all of them. So oh, I read okay. uh, Wonder Woman, Dead Earth. I had read The Ghost Fleet, which is the one he did with uh, Mr. Marvel himself. Uh, oh, Donnie Cates. Donnie Cates, yeah. which had not been completed in the single issues, mm. but they actually did it in the trade paperback. I also read his two-volume Extremity, which is like his heavy metal uh, science fiction stuff. Actually, you know what? I haven't read the long-running web series he did, Space Mullet, which mm. had been put out in trade paperback by Dark Horse but is when I got into it impossible to find unfortunately Mm. so I haven't read that one and that one uh, he said he did it for a while I think like from 2012 to 2017 and he said that it was very comedic and that when he moved on to doing other work like Murder Falcon he wanted to prove that he could do something emotionally engaging Mm. that wasn't necessarily gag based and like look how wild this is so I believe this is the first thing of his that you've read right yeah, I, I wasn't aware of him as a creator at all until you mentioned him, and you mm. kept recommending his stuff, and uh, I'm so glad we read this. And, oh, he also did an amazing and very short uh, Beta Ray Bill miniseries. Oh, cool. Who's the weirdest character in Thor's uh, kind of universe. He looks like a horseman with no bottom jaw. Yeah, kind of like a horse skull for yes. a head. And it's about him going on adventures basically to hell, I think, to, you know, like Doctor Doom, and or maybe a, plant, a hellish-like planet, yeah, yeah. because he's having body dysmorphia issues. Oh. Okay. Which, uh, yeah, he does look a little odd. So If I looked like a skeletal horse, I'd, I'd feel a little weird, too. And as someone who's into wrestling, when this was announced, I'm like, all right, I'm into it. And the thing about Daniel Warren Johnson's art is that, you know, when you look at it, it is solely his own. Uh, I don't want to describe it as scribbly, but it's like very alive in the way that it's presented. Yeah, yeah. Uh, scribbly is not the right word. It is like hyper detailed mm-hmm. you know, and like... Uh, like kinetic way like his his hand is not stopping like sort of making jagged lines yeah as as he draws every single line and the thing about his art as well is that it is in constant communication with the lettering like lettering is basically the second character of any panel Mm -hmm. that he's doing because it's it's just like in the background it's like so present in a way that you rarely see in modern day comics which i feel like they kind of step away from lettering a little bit because it's seen as goofy yeah i think like maybe half a dozen episodes ago we were talking about sound effects mm-hmm. and lettering of sound effects and you brought this one up as an example i think yeah and it was amazing to see this on the page finally So, Justin, what is the basic plot of Do a Powerbomb? Do a Powerbomb is about a a young woman who loves her mother, who's a wrestler named Yua Steel Rose. And during a match uh, with Cobra Sun, Cobra Sun slips on the ropes and uh, the little girl's mother is killed. She uh, basically her neck snaps and it's very unfortunate. And then we jump 10 years into the future when now that young uh, girl is a woman and she's a wrestler. But uh, her uncle who watches her first match says, oh, you're a little green. Like, you know, you got talent, but it's unpolished. And we learn it's because her father didn't want this young uh, woman, Lana, to wrestle because he didn't want to what happened to her mother happened to her. But this girl loves to wrestle, and suddenly, one day, a mysterious man with spikes all over his head approaches her and asks her, 
hey, do you want to participate in an intergalactic wrestling match where I will grant you any wish that you want, which I know in this case will be bringing your mother back to life. And it's a tag team match, so you need to team up with someone. And why don't you team up with Cobra Son, the masked wrestler that killed your mother? Mm -hmm. And from there, they uh, go into the match, which is an intergalactic uh, match. So you got people who have magical pizza powers. You have orangutans. You have knights. They're all wrestling in... Uh oh, the person organizing thinks wrestling is real, right? That was my favorite hook near the very start yeah. is uh, Lana telling this like necromancer, basically like a Shang Tsung type. So mm. he's kind of like the Mortal Kombat organizer where he's like, I'm bringing people from all over the place. And she tries to tell him like, you know, you know, wrestling's fake, right? And he like cracks up and thinks she's just making a joke. And what the assumption in this is yeah. that wrestling is real everywhere but Earth. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of ways you could have done this. You could have just made wrestling real in the comic. I do I do like this lampshading a little bit, making it more fun that way. It's pretty fun. And just the idea, too, is that uh, this necromancer had been receiving Earth's TV signals mm -hmm. of wrestling and loves it. And that's why he thought, I'll recruit from Earth as well. And, and you know... This is not a huge spoiler, but we basically learn this guy is Satan, even though that he says that like he's tried to take over planets and stuff like that because yeah. of the way that it goes. Yeah, it kind of turns like the, you know, heaven hell uh, dichotomy into something more galactic. Yes. Like just sort of planes of galactic reality rather than something more theological. Yeah, he's not like, oh, I'm Satan and I love this. But like because of what ends up happening near the end of the book, you're like, oh, OK, I understand what this is about. Mm -hmm. So what was your first impression? You know, we can all, I, we're not going to go issue by issue but it is kind of broken up in i think you could kind of diagram this book and like oh this is how you tell a compelling story as a sports genre in this limited amount of time yeah and i'm glad we read this now having like repeatedly talked about sports manga mm -hmm. uh in this podcast because this is everything that i love about sports manga as well is the like um sort of like hyper dramatic exposition like to oneself like or about the match that's happening yeah because like to do something like sports is a little bit difficult mm -hmm. like when you try to sit down and do it because how do you make something that it is compelling in the way that it's presented when they're supposed to be doing moves that they know and that you would be aware of like it, you can do it in different ways of like you can have people commenting on the action which like manga does a lot like slam dunk has a lot of like oh he's just about doing this move but something like slam dunk as well is that like when you boil it down at the end it becomes they just wanted it hard enough or something like that <laughs> yeah. you have to find like lessons that they learn throughout and in seven issues that are about 21 pages each that's a little tough so uh, Daniel Warren Johnson finds interesting ways to put kind of dramatic weight of like how do they go to this point what does it mean without necessarily being like oh i found the secret move that i learned from this and they didn't think i was going to use it this way that's not really what he does here no no and there's like a couple of um like sort of key plot beats that are big spoilers we won't reveal here but uh, one like, of them is at the end of the second issue yeah, too. it yeah. kind of colors everything yeah there there's a hook at the end of the second issue that hit me so powerfully i went back to the very start of the book to reread the to first see two how issues it's like contextualized. in a whole new context yeah. and that to me didn't feel like a waste of time that felt like comic book magic mm -hmm. or just like that writing you magic want from or pacing books. magic absolutely yeah. I, I don't think I've had an experience like that reading a comic in a long time uh, and because normally something like that hook would be Perhaps like maybe around the midpoint or like... Or even near the end. Or even near the end. Which is or, not how you should do it. Like storytelling 101, and this is something that people don't understand. If there is an emotional twist in a story, set it up early on. Let the viewer know. Mm -hmm. You don't need to let the characters know. Yeah. Because then the emotion can then build that way until there is a reveal. And, you know, people always forget that. They think that, like, oh, we've got to get the gotcha. And it's like a gotcha is not emotional yeah. if you don't have that basis leading up to it. And this is what this does. Yeah, it does so well. So and, well. And it does take, like, two issues before you get to the intergalactic match. But it does kind of, like, it happened quicker than I thought. Mm -hmm. I really thought there'd be more hemming and hawing on Earth about, like, should we do this or not? But, no, they, they go right for it. Well, I mean... The next day. The young woman wants her mother to come back to life. Yeah. But you're not yeah. sure about Cobra Sun's motivations other than he feels guilty for uh, killing the person in the match that we see earlier on. Yeah, and Lana uses that guilt essentially to sort of uh, coerce him into, into, into coming. Like if you... What does she say? Like if, if you're 
as guilty about her death as I am angry, like you'll you'll mm-hmm. want her back too. And we should say that Cobra Sun is now wrestling in underground matches, which it's sometimes seen as like the disreputable side of wrestling. Have you ever watched any like hardcore matches? Just like maybe some YouTube clips. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty rough. They're, they're uh, rough. It's not the most fun thing to watch. I mean, some people are really into it. I don't want to, you know, disparage them, but like if people get hurt with like barbed wire and stuff like that in a barbed wire match, yeah. you can get really hurt. Yeah, I was reading something once about like the way that you sort of can pre-cut yourself and then yeah yeah it's bo- oh is it blading some botox-esque thing yeah that's so why it- you see someone like uh, abdul the butcher like his uh forehead is completely cut it's because like you blade yourself so blood will stream down your face because your head like bleeds a lot even yeah. from a little cut which is why that it, I th- yeah i think it's called blading that usually use like a razor to do it yeah but and then it stays in there until you sweat a exactly, lot exactly yeah you, oh man um so yeah so he's kind of like purposely slumming it before mm-hmm. he gets guilted into going to this other world um, because he's clearly just racked with uh, guilt and despair and lack of self-worth. And Lana just kind of gets him on her side. It's interesting because there's no like, oh, I need to teach you this secret move or mm. you need this technique to be able to win. Like there is a joke like montage page where like, oh, we're training for this. But I think it's more emotional than it is kind of plot based in the way that it plays out, mm-hmm. which I found very interesting as well. Like, by issue uh, number three, you have them wrestling a team of orangutans in, like, their first match. And it does an interesting thing in that, like, you do feel bad for the people that they're wrestling because they all want something as well. In fact, every single one of them is wrestling to bring someone back to life. Mm -hmm. So it's not that even that the Necronancer can just grant you one wish. It's that... He literally is just promising to bring the person who matters most to you back to life. And some of them are like, oh, I want my, uh, you know, our sister to come back. Others are like, oh, we want this one uh, ultimate fighter for our kingdom to come and fight for us, which that's easier to be like, beat them, beat them, beat them. I mean, there's a bunch of twists in this comic. Like there's one thing that it does around issue, I think, six, where you're like, how are they going to get out of this one? Mm -hmm. Or yeah, five. And then they figure out a way where you're like, all right, there's two issues left. This can't just be what it is. I love that the villain was so engaged in like the match and like uh, sort of the logistics of things. Well, he's not it evil in the been... sense of like I want to see them suffer. He's, yeah, he just wants to see good matches. Yes, yeah, that's what I love. Like it would be, I think, so easy and lazy to write him as like a one-note villain who's very like mwahaha. But no, he wants this to be like the awesomest intergalactic wrestling match of all time. Uh, he wants everyone to, you know, obviously fight and slaughter each other, but but do it like with gusto and uh, and pride. Now, I can't speak to the moves that they're doing. Like, we do get announcers announcing them. Mm-hmm. I feel like if I was a little bit more involved, I'd be like, oh, my God, they did this move, other than the ones that are created specifically for this comic. Mm-hmm. Because they uh, do make a tag team to do this. I think it's Sun and Steel, right? Because yeah. Cobra Sun and Steel, because that was her mother's oh, uh, stage name. Yeah, this splash page showing all eight tag teams is awesome. Yes, List, Sun uh, and Steel, Orangabang, Faizo, Pizza Party, Lucha Bots, Puro Pack. We don't get much of Puro Pack. And, uh, oh, I can't read it because it's heavy metal writing. The Knights of Rhine and the Devil Doers. Yeah, and it lists their home world and their, like, tag team finishing move. Right. And... I kind of wish we did have like a few little like cutaway pages to yeah, showing just the motivation. Yeah, see them wrestling. Because like those e- the evil knights, like you see that like half a page of mm. a couple panels, and I thought that was really cool. Now, is the argument would be that you would want this to be longer? Because I feel like seven issues is the right. It's length. the perfect length. Yes. Perfect length. Unless they wanted them to like take time, and one of them gets injured, and they you know get better, which you don't really have time to do this in this because it's moving so quickly. I feel like if Daniel Warren Johnson ever wanted to, he could do some like mini comics mm, about, about these characters. The yeah. Because in the book we're covering next week, uh, which is Brian Lee O'Malley's Lost at Sea, uh, there's a couple of bonus uh, stories in oh, the really? 10th anniversary edition that are set within the main story. Uh, I didn't read that one. And that could be a way that you could, uh, I don't know. I mean, you like could just do another match, though, he right? Because like, yeah. it's implied that the villain of this uh, does like these matches regularly, mm-hmm. and he gets all these people. And you can get these stories as well, even though that... At the end of the day, what the story is about, and, and like these kind of stories, I'm always a little bit worried of like, don't do the thing that would be technically satisfying, but emotionally bankrupt, which is you bring that person back to life at the end. Yeah. Because you can't do that, right? right <laughs> like right. in these kind of stories, because at the end of the day, like if someone comes back to life, 
it leads to the, you know, concept of magical thinking of like, oh, if I do this, then I'll be able to save this person because I fought hard enough. When at the end of the day, like the best version of these comics, that's not what that's about. Yeah. And that is what how this ends in the yeah. best possible way. Oh my God, I yeah. thought it, I was really worried, actually. Yes. It would have a slightly more hackneyed uh, sort of like Hollywood ending. Or and, maybe they see each other for like one last moment and they're like, I'm very proud of you or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't do that. It, no. It just it does it so well in such a sort of more realistic, like modern way of doing mm. of telling a story like this. And it also... Uh, we're like dancing around spoilers trying to dodge bullets like Neo in the Matrix which is yeah is that like it it keeps the story of these two characters Mm -hmm. um between them yeah that there are not really any external forces that kind of like change them because that's not their story the story is between both of them and where they you know end up and where they feel which may not be the happiest place where you know their goals were set up but it is an emotionally satisfying place in a way that is like i feel so impactful on the surface that like Daniel Warren Johnson just hits the nail on the head that even if you don't unpack it, those last few pages are like, oh, it's like a gut punch. Yeah. And a good gut punch. Not one of like, oh, my God, I can't believe he did that. I felt like so, so good after reading Mm -hmm. this. Like I'd been on this adventure as well. Like it is so visually kinetic. It is so like soulful and um, just God hit me right in the feels. And uh, this should be also in the, you know, Hall of Fame of wild sound effects, each page. And like the way that Daniel Warren Johnson uses angles and, you know, a lot of comic mm-hmm. books do that is like I, I really take notice of it because he almost is changing camera um, lenses on some shots. Like there's a shot that gets repeated over and over again, which really popped up, which is um, the mother and daughter in bed. And you can tell like. In the concept of the scene, this would be a wide angle because mm-hmm. of the way the top bends that you yeah. have like a wide angle lens. And that's just interesting that, you know, all comics use cinematic language. Maybe some of them use it more subtly and I don't notice. But I think this is the perfect kind of like, you know, it's extreme in a sense, but it's also one that just gets you into the emotion of what is involved. And can I point out every time I turn to this page, I was very jealous that uh, this young girl has a glass um, <laughs> yes. uh, collection of action figures. Did you ever have one of those? No, I, never I was always one. so jealous of those. Yes. Uh, there's this friend who has um, has one of those full, filled with like a complete collection of like Marvel Legends. I think they're mm-hmm. called the 90s toys. Yeah. Remember that well, line? Well, it's tough to display yeah. because like, you know, at a certain point, they will all get bunched together. They're not meant to be like, oh, this yeah. glass container has only one figure. That would look absolutely... Right, yeah. So it is like grouped in there. He yeah. hasn't like grouped by family of characters, but... And uh, I cool. uh, did look in the background and in this like action figure thing, Murder Falcon is here. He's also in the background of one of the scenes. You mentioned Murder Falcon earlier. What's that one about? And I hope it's literal. Yeah, it is literal. <laughs> it's a guy that has like an electric guitar that... Um, you know brings a giant murder falcon you know not he doesn't murder he's he's just kind of like cool and he has like a bandana and a giant metal fist is he almost like a ninja turtles character like an anthropomorphized like falcon and they fight like monsters and stuff like that in their van but of course the story is all about loss and getting over loss and like (laughs) dealing with difficult things in your life even as they're fighting giant monsters and that is also murder falcon you can get it in normal trade paperbacks also deluxe hardcover that came out that is a self-contained story and the way it ends you're like there's really no other stories here unless you pick it up from like you know maybe in between some of the stuff that you see and i kind of love when that's the case Mm -hmm. like everyone like i'll often say oh i wish there'd be more but i really don't well because things like this the thing is that you know as a creator or a giant business that is hiring this creator or paying them to do this stuff which is not the case with image comics Mm -hmm. because i believe they're all creator owned yeah yeah is that like you know there's a hope that you do something that's so popular that you can continue doing it Mm -hmm. but that's why manga continues forever right because it will sell books Mm -hmm. and for uh creators to decide no this is the story i want to tell this is the beginning to the middle this is the end it's kind of a big commitment when it comes to this kind of format because after you do this, unless you have a million merchandise ideas that will sell forever, like this is it. So like hopefully, you know, people really like it and you get enough income from these things and make it worthwhile. And I absolutely think this one is, I mean, I would recommend it to anyone who, you know, if you like manga and like you like kind of like manga style action, you'll love this because it's manga-esque without ever looking like an imitation of manga like it doesn't use the kind of i feel um 
what is it called? Not guidebooks or, you know, what are the model sheets that yeah, like, maybe yeah. use? But it uses a lot of the techniques like speed lines or, uh, I mean, I would actually associate this more with like kind of modern day North American comics of like breaking panel layout. Like if you go through this with a fine tooth comb, which I feel not many people do when they read it for the first time because it's so action packed that you're kind of like turning the pages really fast. Cause mm -hmm. you want that sense of kinetic motion. You'll notice how very carefully it's set up. I just want to talk and I'm no spoilers. What did mm -hmm. you think of the last match? Because I remember reading issue six and I was reading it month by month and going, where is this going? <laughs> because like, it makes no sense for even there to be a victory in this scenario. Yeah. Like, well, what did you think when you were reading it? Like in terms of how like, could there be an outcome? opponent, how yeah. could there be an outcome? Yeah. Yes. It really feels like all is lost. Yes. <laughs> like this feels like the OS moment. What's OS? Apparently a nautical term I heard from a friend recently mm -hmm. where, um, Instead of saying, oh, shit, you call something an OS moment, even oh. though it's supposedly like the joke is it's for short. Yes. But it doesn't actually take any less time to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember when I was reading it, it. This is something that manga does really well, too, is that like find a way to have a victory without having technically a victory. And mm -hmm. they find a way to do that as yeah. well. Uh, and that's like a tough thing in sports manga where a lot of times like we need to win but at the end of the day like what does winning mean it doesn't really mean anything I found it such a satisfying wrap up yes. to that final fight and because and either way if it was like oh they've uh, they've achieved an, a miraculous victory I don't think that would have been as satisfying no like the like, way oh that they it, wanted it so bad they won it's yeah. like uh, I don't I don't know if that means anything yeah no no I mean thinking about it now there's a few ways it could have gone especially in the way that I, I would say that one of the things it doesn't really do is it it kind of the the other wrestlers they get their story beats but then mm -hmm. it kind of like moves away from them so it's like a loss and it's sad but then there's no other follow-up to that and mm -hmm. i i thought there was like oh maybe they'll get involved in a way but no at the end of the day it is these two protagonist story and it's really about them at the end mm -hmm. and you know that final moment where you get a flashback oh how do you feel about flashbacks like near end of stories usually i'm like no it works in this context yes it does work in this context yeah. i don't necessarily always want something to just end with a flashback mm -hmm. but the the wrap up here was so important because you're flashing back to stuff that we've seen earlier too yes that like oh you've seen this so, maybe yeah. you've missed like a line here right or a line so the there. context was already there mm -hmm. and then seeing it again feels cathartic and not out of nowhere and now that you've read this you are ready for death right mike because you've learned the lessons that you need to learn i am and i'm also ready for uh death because i can't imagine dying without having read do a powerbomb <laughs> this book is a 10 this was absolutely oh this phenomenal. is my favorite book of 2022 this was uh like i i have to read everything else uh they've they've I done would highly recommend because it's all this good like murder falcon is great wonder mm. woman dead earth which i picked up going Ugh, is this zombies because that's what it sounds like right oh, dead earth okay that's not what it is well, what is the basic premise of that uh um, wonder woman wakes up from a coma after hundreds and hundreds of years and the earth has been decimated and okay. it's filled with monsters and she tries to find out what happened to the heroes and like what happened to her as mm. well and it ends in a very satisfying place as well of like what the reveal of where these monsters come from and it's also sad and you know maybe a superman gets involved of course he does <laughs> Extremity is more kind of like, again, like a heavy metal kind of story of like, you know, future world. I believe there's some revenge in it. I haven't read it in a very long time. And Beta Ray Bill, like I said, is about he has kind of like he, he's trying to get a goal, kind of like do a powerbomb of like what this goal I need. Mm -hmm. If I get this, will it make me happy? And where that one ends is very interesting as well, because like, does he get it? Does he get and is it what he wants? And so, yeah, we'll recommend all these comments. I cannot wait to see what uh, Daniel Warren Johnson does next. I looked online and I'm like, has he announced anything? Has he done anything? He has not, unfortunately. Mm. I did order uh, the, in France, they're publishing a black and white version of the comic. So I'm like, in like an oversized format. Actually, that that struck me while we were reading it, that I feel like this art could have been black. I absolutely mm. love the coloring. Yes. Love, love, love the coloring. It is also like as dynamic and kinetic as as the art itself. I feel like it also would have worked just as well in black and white. I wonder how it will feel because it is fairly colorful, yeah. right? Of like uh, designating like sound sound effects and like a lack of background in some of the panels. Like what what does it look like in black and white? Does it feel too busy? Because like mm. someone could flip this comic open and go, hey, I don't know, this looks a little busy to me. And I'm like, no, it's not. Trust me. Like once you get into it and you get into the vibe of it, you'll mm -hmm. you'll absolutely enjoy it. Yeah. So that's it for Do a Powerbomb, Daniel Warren Johnson. Uh, I wonder if we'll be talking about his stuff at another point in time. I hope we do.
So, do we have any letters this week? As always, you can send us letters at the very fine comic book podcast at gmail.com or send us a message on Instagram and follow us on Instagram at the very fine comic book podcast. But if you send it on Instagram, I don't see it. <laughs> I do not have the credentials of Instagram. Well, I could. It's but the same one. I don't want them. <laughs> so, uh, what is an Instagram comment that somebody sent? Uh, so our friend Duncan sent us an Instagram message saying, Whoa, Dunkaroni Von Helvet himself. That is him. He says, you have a great speaking voice. Mike Wood. He's, he's probably referring to both of us, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and he says, uh, I think talking about Larry Hama and G.I. Joe in the future is a really cool idea, which we mentioned a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Larry Hama, uh, it has written a lot of other comics too. Bucky um, O'Hare. Bucky O'Hare. His uh, um, craven attempt to get a toy line. Yep. Uh, some some Wolverine. I think even a lot of like the kids comic. And, like, well, he was Marvel on Marvel ones. staff, right? So yeah, he was always yeah. just around. And Larry Hama wrote this like career-defining run on G.I. Joe comics. Issue one to like 150 or so. And actually th- that run has now been continued via IDW. And it had such incredible characterization world building that it was a... Well, it defined G.I. Joe. It defined G.I. Joe, but also like transcended the IP, if yes. that makes sense. Yes. It has been like widely regarded at like just even academic circles as like great comics, regardless of being something that was, you know, tying into slash designed to sell a toy line. And a lot of people say that is because, you know, Larry Hammer took it seriously, which he did not have to do. Mm-hmm. But like, oh, what if we made this something that I'm committed to and trying to find interesting ways to tell stories in this context? Now, I have not read that much G.I. Joe, of course. It's illegal to be a comic book fan uh, as long as I have and not have read his Snake Eye one-shot silent issue. Yes, there's a famous uh, issue with Snake Eyes, the um, the mutant ninja character who is almost everyone's favorite G.I. Joe character. Because <laughs> he doesn't talk. Doesn't talk. He's a man of mystery. What's his backstory? We don't know. Why can't he talk? Can he not talk? Or is he Wait, wait not who's the talk? one with a, a parrot on his shoulder? Is that Roadblock? That's Shipwreck. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, Shipwreck. That's the Shipwreck guy. who won't shut up. Um... <laughs> And uh, yeah, there was a this very famous uh, issue with Snake Eyes, uh, with has no dialogue. It's mm. just him on an infiltration mission, and it was just an amazing exercise in like just paneling and blocking and like writing for. Is there? The and page. I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here. Okay. A GI Joe artist that is like the guy. That's something. So I haven't read these since I, okay. was, I was. They were brand new as a kid. I I'd be hard pressed to remember right now because I I know that they are kind of in a mold. Yeah. And I remember uh, hearing online that like Todd McFarlane, he drew an issue and they actually pulled it because they're like this doesn't fit the GI Joe style. Yeah, and they it was redrew a single it all. issue. Yeah. yeah. Duncan goes on to say GI Joe was my jam. I had so many toys in most of the comics, even Action Force from the UK, which it was called over there. Larry Hama did indeed make it a world of its own. And then he adds, did you ever read his Nth Man series? It was pretty sweet. And now you probably haven't heard of Nth Man. No, I have not heard of Nth Man. This is, if I had to choose like one top Marvel comic that I love the most that nobody else has ever heard of, it is Jack of Hearts. (laughs) After Jack of Hearts. Yeah. Um, Larry Hama did a 16 issue miniseries called Nth Man. uh, So NTH? NTH. As in like Nth, like the ultimate degree. Nth. And... If it were better known, I would say people would probably be calling it Marvel's Watchmen. Yes, you mentioned this before. I, I'm sure I have. It hits a lot of the same notes as Watchmen in terms of like fear of impending nuclear war with Russia. You did not say this comic's full title. And man, yes. the ultimate ninja. That's correct. <laughs> now, so, this one too, though, has never been collected, it right? It has never been collected. Do it you is know incredible. Why? I, I'm not sure why. And uh, clearly, like, Marvel haven't wanted to. And I don't know if another publisher can because Marvel characters feature in it. Mm-hmm. However, it's not set in the Marvel Universe. It's set in, like, a, like, quote-unquote, like, real world and involves uh, two kids who grew up in an orphanage together. Uh, and one of them was uh, taken away by some uh, sort of, like, old uh, martial arts master and like you know adopted and trained to be the ultimate ninja and the nth man if you will the nth man and the other one uh, named alfie had some sort of mysterious powers forming and it has like a stand by me kind of element in that regard so kind of hits this like middle ground between like a kids on some sort of adventure and kids like developing themselves and their powers uh, while also progressing forward in time and seeing like what's happening with the world and this one kid who's the only one with powers in that universe. Because Marvel Comics are fictional in this. Yes. 
So Marvel characters do pop up in a fictional context where you'll see the kids playing and imagining themselves as like Daredevil and Doctor Doom. Did you ever hear about the original Sam Hamm script of The Watchmen where at the end they go through a portal and come into the real world? What? No. Yeah. <laughs> I think that script was famous for a lot. It's like, it's the goddamn Watchmen. Like someone says that at one point. Oh, man. So yeah, Nth Man is great. Like in the final act, like uh, Alfie has like reimagine himself as Galactus to stop like a nuclear attack by Russia on the United States. And mm. it's, yeah, it's very similar to Watchmen. But if, it's not like a, um, you know, kind of recontextualization of like superheroes, is it? Uh, not in the least. I would okay. say this was like Watchmen by way of canon films. Oh, okay. It very steeped in like a lot of like 80s film tropes, but fully aware of what it's doing. Hmm, interesting. And in, in, if that makes sense. Well, we're going to have to do an episode on the Nth Man. Or I, you know what? I'll just read it uh, and let you people know if Mike is, you know, he's big game in it or big time in it. Hmm. Like, or hyping it up. I can't get my uh, terminology right talking about this. Yeah, so I absolutely would love to revisit that. And actually, I put it on my list of upcoming stuff the second we started this podcast. So It's weird it hasn't been collected. You'd think that would be one they just toss off in a graphic novel. And uh, let's be honest, it's a Marvel property, so it's not like uh, Larry Hama owns it or anything, right? Yeah, and Marvel barely collected the G.I. Joe stuff as well. Maybe that, like they did, mm -hmm. but that's almost more frustrating that they put it a couple volumes and oh, then stopped. The so it's not like Hasbro or Mattel or whoever owns G.I. Joe blocked them. DC is doing an interesting thing and I don't know how this initiative started but like they're doing runs of stuff that hasn't really been collected in big what they call compendiums which are like you know it could have 25 issues in it it's on glossy paper but it has soft covers. So it's like about 80 bucks as mm. opposed to the omnibuses who are like 150 and are maybe out of people's price range and with these uh, compendiums they can do little or known stuff. So like I just got uh, Sandman Mystery Theater. Hmm. I just got um, uh, the question. Dennis O'Neill's the question. Oh, is that all in one volume? Uh, it'll or be two it? volumes. Okay. So like two big volumes. So like stuff that you know doesn't have that many fans, but they can put out there. I'm surprised Ents Man has never come out because there was only twelve issues, and you can collect that in like one trade paperback. Yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe someday. Yeah, it's weird. Sometimes they're like, oh, we can't put that together. Well, maybe, God dang it, maybe us talking about it can make it happen. <laughs> oh, Marvel's going to listen to this yes. podcast. They're like, oh, there'll be an interest in the Ents Man. <laughs> well, if anybody knows why uh, this can't be republished, I'm sure if we just looked and Larry Hammond's like, I just won't let them. That could be the case. Maybe. It had the vibe of like, uh, this is my magnum opus. Oh, it. really? It, it is. It feels like uh, just really, really like someone doing something very very personal now does it have much of a following other than you or is it something i could like pick up for like five bucks on ebay i wonder yeah like, i'm sure there's someone people on ebay selling a, like a complete set of it Ant man yeah, yeah for uh probably not that much oh there's 16 issues actually yeah 16 but it was supposed oh i'm looking right here Ant man the ultimate issue number one amazon.com 20 cents <laughs> <laughs> so, the value is nil. Mm. I don't think I've ever seen a comic sell for that low. That's pretty low. Yeah. <laughs> so what are we doing next week, Mike? So next week, uh, we're going to talk about Lost at Sea by Brian Lee O'Malley, the famous creator of Scott Pilgrim. Now, this is an interesting pick by you mm -hmm. because I think it's the first time that you pick something and you hadn't read it. I have not read this one. Yes. Yeah, but we'd mentioned Brian Lee O'Malley at least twice in earlier episodes, and I think you brought up Lost at Sea, and I said, oh, I never read that one. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, you know what? I'm sure I'm going to like it, and uh, I really wanted to check out the rest of his oeuvre, because after Scott Pilgrim and Snot Girl, like, is there anything Seconds. else? It's Seconds? his graphic oh, okay. uh, novel, yeah. And uh, Snot Girl, I believe he writes, but he doesn't draw. Oh, okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. I only read the first issue of that, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I was very excited to read this for the first time and talk about it next week. So we'll be talking uh, Lost at Sea, Brian Lee O'Malley, maybe Scott Pilgrim will come up at some point as a podcast in Toronto that well, one of us was the right age when the comic was coming out. It's the legal requirement to talk about Scott Pilgrim if you're yes. doing a comic podcast in Toronto. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So until next week, my name is Justin Aglou. I'm Mike Wood. Keep reading comics. Oh no, I stole your line, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but if you're gonna leave Better call the undertaker Take me under, undertaker, take me home Yeah, if you're gonna leave Better call the undertaker Take me on, Undertaker, take me on.